Lord, again, this morning we desire to uh, be in tune with who you are and desire that we be in fellowship and that we may gain what you have in this passage, very important passage. We just desire that your spirit would speak to us, prepare us for whatever experience we may encounter, not only today, but in the near future, but even down the road. We desire to be prepared for whatever you would have for us. We know that one of the things that we should expect is that of suffering. And I just pray that this passage prepares us and reminds us of the things that you have revealed in your words. We commit our time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've mentioned only a couple of times that uh, chapter 5 in the book of Romans is a transitional chapter. Paul has completed his teaching on justification by grace through faith alone. And chapter 5, as we've said, begins, Therefore, having been justified, looking at it in a past tense sense to the audience that he's speaking to, assuming that they are, in fact, genuine believers receiving justification by faith. And if that is the case, then everything else that he's going to talk about in chapter 5 is true of them rather than the description that he gave earlier concerning their lostness or the lostness of humanity in general. And in the passage that we'll look at beginning in verse 3, part of this package, you might say, of justification is the idea of tribulation or suffering. So we'll uh, take a look at it this morning and focus on how do we handle it. I mentioned several times many believers suffered to the point of death in the Colosseum in the first century as persecution broke out. And the examples that we have in Scripture From that, there are examples of the very principles that we're going to talk about in chapter 5. So Paul has been addressing a believing audience, explaining this concept of righteousness and the fact that all are unrighteous and as a result condemned. And there is none righteous, not even one. Chapter 3, he mentions that. So all of humanity stands condemned. The only solution is what God himself has provided, and only God is the one that can make that provision. Paul describes it as justification. That's in chapters 3.21 to 5.21. And he shows how that is provided in chapter 3, little paragraph of one sentence, 3.21 to 26. The priority 327 through 21, the pattern or an example, all of chapter 4, and now we're in chapter 5. What is the product of it? So we're in chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, and in that we've looked at uh, verses 1 and 2, present benefits, overt and clear, and in that he talks about having been justified, we have peace, first of all. We are at enmity, or you might even say at war with God before we trust in him. We are separated and condemned, as we've said. But now, having been justified, we have certain benefits. And one of them is peace. 
And we also have this access to grace, and it's a more of a present status. We can continually access that grace. In fact, we stand in it, and in that word, standing is, in the Greek text, in the perfect tense, meaning the moment we trusted, we stood in it, but it has ongoing effects and affects us throughout the Christian life. In fact, everything we receive is by grace, not just justification, but everything else related to living for Christ. So we have that access, New American Standard translates it, introduction, which is okay, because justification does, in fact, introduce us. And then he gives us kind of the end, which is glory. The ultimate hope is glorification. All of these concepts he's going to develop in more detail beginning in chapter 6, but he's kind of transitioning here, kind of giving us a broad picture. From justification to glorification, all of that is by grace. And in glorification, that's a future status or future experience that we will not experience in this life. So beginning in in verse 3, one thing that we can expect and will and do experience is tribulation. But for the believer, it's vastly different. It's not like the unbeliever wondering, why me? Or how do I get out of this? In fact, the passage encourages us to exult. So I call it 3 through 5, ongoing tribulation exultation. We can rejoice in it. In fact, the word literally means to boast or to brag. And what it means is boast in the sense that it's not a negative, but it's something that God has brought, and he's going to explain what it produces and why we can boast in it. And I think in it, it gives us insight into how do we handle tribulation that we'll all face. And all of us have faced some degree of it. And we should be even prepared to suffer for Christ. So we talked a little bit about that last time. So ongoing tribulation. One long sentence from three to five. So I've grouped it all together. And the subject is we, speaking of the believers at Rome and Paul. That's the immediate audience. And because of inspiration, it has a broader audience in terms of readers that are believers. We who have been justified, and not only this, not only do we have peace, not only do we have access to God himself, not only do we have a future hope of glorification, but you may add this other benefit, even though we don't look at it that way generally, But not only this, he's adding, we also exult in our tribulations. And the sentence goes on expanding what this exaltation relates to, obviously to tribulation and how to handle it as well. So we also exult in our tribulations. Now, last time I gave you kind of a brief overview of how this word is used. Flipsis. It's a little bit of a general word that has the idea of being under pressure or something pressing in on us, something confining. Oftentimes, affliction of various kinds presses us in. 
will there even be overt persecution or simply suffering? You're bedridden or you may be confined in some way. That's the general idea. So it's a general term of many kinds. I gave you a brief survey of the variety of ways that it, things can press into us. Joseph in prison, Acts 7.10, Paul in prison, Philippians, Israel in a famine in Israel. All that goes back to patriarchal times, the Acts 7 passage. Just any kind of worldly hardships. Paul gives us a whole list in Second Corinthians that he experienced. Childbirth is described. Even marriage to some extent. There are sufferings and tribulations that probably all marriages experience. Can be emotional, Second Corinthians 2.4. And then the majority of the uses is overt persecution and more specifically the seven-year tribulation. And I ran out of space on the slide, so I didn't give you a verse, but Matthew chapter 24 or the Olivet Discourse. So this is a general term. And from that, last week, I wanted to give you a simple thing of an introduction. We'll go beyond that today. The purpose of suffering, from a biblical perspective, there are many reasons why we suffer. The first one we want to avoid, because sometimes we bring it on ourselves, the consequence of sin. Now, that's the unbeliever in general, but it also can apply to the believer. In fact, 1 Peter 4.15 and Galatians 6.7, addressed to a believer deal with suffering as a result of consequences of sin. What about self-pity? Self-pity would be involved in it. Mm -hmm. Secondly, sometimes if we are on a wrong path, God will redirect it. We call that discipline. Key passage there is Hebrews 12. So suffering sometimes perhaps related to sin. God intervenes for the believer, not the unbeliever. This is for sons, uses the illustration of a father disciplining his son, or sons. So that's a reason or a purpose that some sometimes we suffer. Sometimes there's not anything in us. It is simply because we name the name of Christ or because we proclaim the gospel. And in that circumstance... It's not because of sin, but it is simply because the unbelieving world doesn't want to hear that message or we're an offense to them because it reminds them of their lostness, our godly living. So the key passage there, 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14. And by the way, within that, he warns us not to suffer as a result of sin, but the main emphasis is Suffering simply for righteousness' sake. In fact, that phrase is used in some passages. And another reason, and this is the focus, I think, of Romans 5, is God is simply refining us. It's not necessarily discipline. It's not because of necessarily any wrong choices or wrong decisions. But it's part of the process. Remember, justification by faith involves two elements. Remember, what are those two elements? Reminding you, justification by faith, well, it's by grace, but there's two elements involved in it. What happens at the moment we are justified? We are, first of all, positional. A, it's positional, but a negative is removed, forgiveness of oh, sins. Yeah, forgiveness of sin, and then... And then the second... We the don't deed. go to zero, we get... 
we get a plus. plus. The declaring, declaring of righteousness. righteousness. We're declared. Our standing is one of righteousness. Oh, I see. So the negative is removed and a positive is imputed. Remember the example of Abraham, imputation. All right? We're declared righteous, not made righteous. So as far as God is concerned, our standing is as if we had never sinned. In fact, we have the righteousness of Christ himself, the sinless Christ. That's our standing. We're not made righteous. What makes us righteous is the entire experience of the Christian life that God brings. The study of God's word, the walk of faith, all the experiences that God brings. One of the main instruments that God uses in creating within us righteousness and making us righteousness, conforming us to the image of Christ now. In other words, now we will begin to experience righteousness. Our life is transformed and changed, or in the process at least. And we grow to maturity, Christ-likeness. One of the main instruments that God uses is suffering. And that's what we have in this passage. And we looked up several passages that deal, in fact, the majority of the passages dealing with suffering deal with the aspect of God refining us. I use the illustration of gold. When gold is heated to its melting point, sometimes we need to be melted down, if you will. And in that process, impurities come to the surface of the gold. It can be skimmed off so that you have pure gold. The Christian life is that process. And what God does in suffering, he accelerates it, brings it to a boiling point, if you will. So several passages, Deuteronomy 8 in the Old Testament, Hebrews 5, 8. James 1, in fact, James 1, 2 through 4, parallel with the Romans passage, and 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 10. In fact, part of the refining process is to make us useful to be able to minister to others. That's the thrust of 2 Corinthians 1 passage. And in some cases, there may be some suffering that there's no explanation. And the main example is Job himself. But even those that we have no clue as to what it may be, we should view it as part of the refining process. And I think that's what Job experienced as well. And in Job 1 and 2, he was not given a reason for the suffering. And he may have discerned it by the end of the book. But there might be some issues dealing with things beyond this material realm. And that was the case with Job, God doing things in the angelic realm, teaching, illustrating, even demonic spirits. Satan is involved in Job 1 and 2. So unknown reasons. I think this captures virtually all of the different kinds that you might experience. There's kind of refinements within each of those as well. So, and not only this, but we also exalt... In other words, we can rejoice, we can praise God in our tribulations, knowing, in fact, I should highlight that word, that tribulation brings about perseverance. So some of the key terms we've looked at, we're still kind of 
reviewing here. Exalt literally has the idea to boast in something. You can boast or brag in a negative sense, but there are a lot of good things to boast about. This is one of them. And with it, it's a exuberant rejoicing, exuberant exaltation, tribulation, any kind of affliction, any kind of pressing, any kind of pressure, you might say. And now we have in the passage, tribulation brings perseverance, hupomane, basically has the idea of endurance. In other words, it gives us a spirit or an enablement to continue in the Christian walk. We call that perseverance. So perseverance is something that God brings. One of the main instruments that he uses is, in fact, tribulation in whatever form it may come. So it produces something, particularly endurance. A couple of other passages, key passages. Let's read those. Somebody want to do Second Thessalonians 1.4? Notice, very important passage. Got it, Linda? And Second Corinthians 1.6. Dwayne's got that one. One four, Second Thessalonians. Uh, therefore, we ourselves proudly of you. Yep. Um, the church is of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecution and afflictions you endure. Okay. Well, the next one is good. Read it. This is a plain indication. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment, so that you will be considered worthy of the. Okay, you're suffering for a purpose. It's not simply misfortune, but the emphasis of that for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all of your persecutions and afflictions. If you read the book of Acts, you see examples of the early persecution of the Thessalonians. And you got Second Corinthians one six. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation. It's effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. If comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Okay, we read this last week. So Paul is experiencing suffering, but it's not simply for him. It has a purpose, which is effective in patient enduring. That's the same word that we have here. Perseverance in Second Thessalonians one four is the same word that we have in the Romans passage. Another passage, First Timothy six eleven, but flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance. So it's encouraged, and suffering certainly stimulates it. We could chart kind of this progress. I think what God does, we can see when God brings tribulation, this is 5.3, there's the Greek word lipsis, that produces perseverance, hupomane, there's the Greek word for it. And then we're going to say, we have a sequence here, and in verse 4, perseverance, proven character. So perseverance produces something else. In fact, this is an interesting word. It doesn't occur very frequently in the Bible, but it has the idea of something that is tested, something that has gone through a testing phase, if you will, 
That's the endurance. In other words, that's the endurance part of persecution. In other words, you're not trying to get out of it. You're trying to learn from it. You're allowing it to have its work. And when it has its work, when it's completed, it may take time. When it's completed, it develops character. And New American Standard adds the idea of proven character because within the word, it has this idea. So proven character, dokeme is the Greek word there. Something that is proven, something that is tested. In fact, you could translate it approvedness, if that's a word. In fact, that's probably the best way to translate it in a simple way. Proven character is good. Two words. So, development of character. We have some other passages that uh, emphasize that. Philippians 2.22. Somebody want to get that one? Jacob, you got it? And we have the verb in Romans 2.18. Got it. Lou, you want to do it? Philippians 2.22. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Great. Proven character. And uh, the example that Paul uses there in Philippians, he's referring back to, or Timothy, yeah. Proven character. Someone that has gone through the experience of suffering, has endured it, and it's developed character. Romans 2.18 is the verbal form. Um, it's kind of started in the middle of the sentence. You know, we start yeah, the go ahead and start at the beginning. Good idea. Indeed, you were called a Jew and rest on the law and make you your boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law. Okay, uh, the little phrase there, what was it again? The proved part? Approve the things that are excellent. Okay, you've approved the things. In other words, you've investigated them, you've checked them out, and you've proved them to be true. That's the idea of the word here. So proven character, some commentators like the idea of approvedness, the idea of something that has been tested. Now, just to illustrate it, because Bruce is here, we insert this slide. <laughs> You're welcome, Bruce. Uh, Bruce knows very well what is going on in this situation. He's a structural engineer, and in all of his, in his designs, he calls for the testing of the material, particularly concrete. This is an example that you test concrete, you create these cylinders. When you pour a structure of some kind, a column or a slab, bridge deck, whatever the case may be, you pour it out, but at the same time, you take samples of the same material and you form these cylinders. And then after a certain period of time, there's a seven-day period, which is kind of the standard in the industry. You take a test, and there's a certain percentage that you expect that that concrete uh, should endure as it uh, cures out. Concrete increases strength over time. Theoretically, to infinity, continuing very minute amount, but... You specify a certain concrete, certain strength, 3,000 PSI, pounds per square inch. Nowadays, they like 4,000. In our olden days, 3,000 was kind of the typical concrete. Nowadays, 4,000. 
And now you take one of these cylinders that represents the whole, and you test it, seven days, 28 days. You specify a strength for 28 days. The seven day gives you a percentage. And that cylinder, you go exceed that until it fails. But if it is good concrete and your sample represents the whole, it is tested now. In other words, it has proven itself to be a certain strength. And in seven days, you have a pretty good idea of whether it's going to meet that strength or not. And then you assure it with a 28-day test. But the illustration here is that concrete is approved. It is uh, acceptable because it reaches the adequate strength. It's endured, and the sample that represents the whole represented that test. So it's proven now. So it's accepted by the engineer, and now you go to the next phase and build on that column or whatever you're, you're developing with the assurance that you have the strength of concrete that you specified. So that's the example. So a test sample represents the whole. Linda? What about the second law of thermodynamics? How can that get stronger forever? Well, that's in theory. We're talking about very small. You have a curve that goes like that. You don't know. Okay. (laughs) He's just believing me. Take it by faith. (laughs) So also, this is what tribulation does. In other words, tribulation does the same thing. It proves us. In other words, it tests us. And as we endure it, as encouraged in Romans chapter 5, it ultimately ends in proven strength, and in fact, develops that strength. So that's what tribulation does for the believer. So we can add to our little stair step here. Tribulation, verse 5, produces endurance, and once endurance has taken all of its effects, then it brings about approvedness. And then we have the word may in 5-4. Now, the sequence doesn't end there. In fact, the last part of verse 4, proven character brings about hope. And what does this do? In other words, it, it began in hope in verse 2. In other words, we have a hope of a future glorification. And now, all of a sudden, testing or tribulation enters in. And in that tribulation, it produces something in us, endurance. That endurance develops our character. That character, because of the process, and what's assumed here is we recognize that God has worked a work in us. In other words, it's not character that we develop. It's something that God has has given to us. It gives us an assurance that God is at work and reinforces that idea of that future goal that God has in our lives. And remember, hope, biblically, has the idea of what? Is it simply a wish? It's true. You know it. No, it's not a wish. It's a certainty of something that is promised by God. It has the idea of an expectation based on what God has promised. That's biblical hope. Okay. So, Lily, I had to send the scripture last week to our 
grandson, and um, you know, he got a misunderstanding. You know, sergeant got sent back. He had loop and Kimar meets over, and they got to the um, they called the bayonet march. And the drill sergeant was like, "No, you can see this out. You've already done this. You know, it's the most grueling uh-huh. test." Yep. And he's like, "I'm doing." It. And so it's that in itself. Yeah. He persevered, and he's he's he has a pretty character. Age. I can see. Right. And there's a lot of illustrations of this in the material realm. In other words, the military training, for example, the exercises they go through, they have a purpose. They have a design. They're intended to develop certain qualities in a soldier or a cadet or wherever they are. I gave you the illustration from athletics last time. You do all the training, whether whatever the sport may be, and it's grueling, and hopefully it is more severe than what you'll experience in a game. And the more the training and the more effective and difficult the training, the more prepared you are to face the battle of the athletic competition. Similarly, in the spiritual realm, the principle is the same. I told you I learned everything, every biblical principle from athletics. This is one of the main ones that you learn. Now, proven character produces hope. That hope focuses us on the source of this testing, the purpose of the testing, and the realization that God is at work. And if he's at work now and has got me through this and has developed certain things in me, I look back at him and everything that he's promised way in the future now I know he's going to complete. So it gives us assurance of what God is doing within us. And we've looked at this word, elpis, Greek word uh, for hope. It has the idea of confidence in something God has promised, or you might even say confident expectation. So the word in the Bible that's translated hope, if it's this word, elpis, it has more than just the idea in in our culture. When we say hope, sometimes, well, we have more of the idea, I wish this would happen. It's not likely, but this is kind of a wish or a desire. That's not the case with the biblical word. The biblical word is confidence. It's related to faith. Faith is believing what God has said. Hope is almost the next step. In other words, Faith believes the promise that God has made, and now that produces a hope or an expectation that God is going to do what he has promised. You see, it's kind of a next stage relating. Do you, you know if there's any translations that use a different? Not off the top of my head. I hope I'll win the lottery. I mean, that your chances is that is... That's a wish. Right, right. I just wonder why they didn't use a different one, because we use that... So differently. I think the problem is with English, not in the with the right. Greek word. Right. Yes. Yeah. Seems like there'd be a right better way to say that. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons you do word studies is because sometimes a meaning in English is not the same as it is in the Greek text. And if you do a word study, I'm not aware to answer your question. Uh, we'll have to look through the list of all the words I've got in the word study. So that's hope. So tribulation produces perseverance, a persevering attitude. That tests us. 
and we pass the test, that brings approvedness. And when we pass the test, that produces hope. That produces a hope that God is going to complete what he began. So let's talk about handling tribulation. Uh, no, that's not me. <laughs> Could have been about 60 years ago. but So handling it, is the bottom on you? Looks like you. <laughs> Pretty much. Okay, the first thing, you remember what the text said, and I thought I had it highlighted, but I guess I didn't. In verse 3, not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. Why do we exult? Because we know something. Knowing what Paul is assuming is that the Romans understand this concept of suffering in the sense of God bringing it to refine us. So he's going to expand upon that. So understanding that principle, I think what we need to do is we need to continually ground ourselves in God's word. So now we are aware of biblical principles like this one. So now we know what God does in the midst of suffering and why it sometimes occurs and why we may be experiencing suffering. But if you're unaware of the biblical principles, if you're not aware of other principles as well and promises of God, because you are not grounded in God's word, then you're almost like the unbeliever when suffering comes. You're thrown off balance. You're trying to get out of it. You compromise your faith. You do things that are unbiblical. So it's so important to prepare. And this morning, this is part of preparation. In fact, we come Sunday after Sunday, go through passages, learn biblical principles, Week after week, you build upon that. You do your own Bible study. You learn biblical promises, what God has said. You understand in general what God has done in history because you have an outline of what God has done in the past. So you know the Old Testament. You're grounded in that. You know the the progress of history, what God is going to do in the future. You have that foundation and now when tribulation comes, you can draw on that. So that's biblical grounding. And he's alluding to that in uh, this Roman passage, knowing, in other words, you know what testing produces. And knowing that if it's a refining process, like this is the example here, or one of them, now we can have a different perspective on it. And what happens is when tribulation comes, now we are prepared to be able to respond rightly to it. And we respond by focusing on the truth, first of all. So we handle tribulation by focusing, okay, this is the truth. This is what I've learned from Scripture concerning testing or concerning this circumstance. How do I respond in this situation? I know I can draw on that past Bible understanding that I've got, and I focus now on that truth. What happens when we're in the midst of it, sometimes our our thinking is not only all wrong, and now our emotions get engaged, and now we go down a wrong path, 
and respond wrongly, particularly if it's of the kind that we talked about last week, if it's a, a persecution situation, what is our natural response is what? To retaliate or in some way give in life a kind. And what does Paul say in Romans 12 towards the end? Don't return evil for evil, but uh, leave room for the wrath of God. And in fact, in that context, he's talking about pouring coals of kindness upon people. That's the right response. But you can focus on that because, oh, I remember what Romans 12 says. And now I can respond differently. I don't need my emotions to get out of control here and respond emotionally. I can respond in a godly way because I have the resource of the the biblical understanding that I've got. That's why he says knowing certain things and in this context, knowing what testing produces. Fourthly, in that midst, now we can trust God. Now we can claim that promise. And if it's the Romans 12 passage, leave room for the wrath of God, all I have to do is respond rightly, and God will take care of that persecutor. I may not see it. It may not happen immediately. But I can be assured that God is going to deal with that if I leave room for his wrath, his dealing with it. So I can trust him. I may not understand all of the ins and outs of what's going on. I don't need to, but I need to trust in him. And when I trust in him, then that perseverance begins to kick in and perseverance is developed. In other words, I'm going to let God deal with this and I'm going to allow the thing to work itself out. It may take a long time. It may take months. It may take years. But it's developing in me perseverance, and God is going to use it to refine me, to conform me to his image. Make sense? So that's how we handle tribulation. But you have to draw on. If you're not grounded biblically, then you you don't have a resource to draw on. So we spend week after week after week simply developing that foundation, that biblical grounding. And what, this is the 67th week we've been in the book of Romans to lay that foundation so that on that occasion, when testing comes, we're prepared for it. We have the biblical... So it's like a Romans 8, 28. Yes. Yeah, that's a promise that we can claim. Romans 8.28 God works all things for good. In other words, he's producing something good who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's an excellent passage to keep in mind in the midst of testing. All things, including these negative things that come into our experience. Very good. So we have tribulation that produces perseverance. Perseverance tests us and approves us, shows us that we're genuine. We have the power of the Holy Spirit within us. That gives us a hope that God will ultimately uh, get us to the end. And we have, let's take a look quickly at the parallel passage in James, because we have a similar sequence here. Turn to James chapter 1. We read this already. This is why James... Notice, consider it all joy. And who is he talking to? My brethren. In other words, brothers in Christ. Now he implies sisters as well. 
Consider it all joy, brethren. In other words, you have been justified. You know the Lord. Why can we count it all joy? Not because we love tribulation. Not because we're masochists. Not because it brings us any pleasure. The very opposite. But like Paul says, we know certain things. And James is going to tell us, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing, notice again, call on that resource of Bible principles, knowing, and what do we know? That the testing of your faith, what does it produce? Endurance, or in this case, it's translated patience. But it's the same word. So trials, it's a different word. In fact, this is another kind of broad word. In fact, it has more the idea of testing, perasmas. But he also uses dokimion, another word. What does that sound like? Or what is that like? Notice the parallel in Romans, approvedness. In other words, something that has gone through a test. Same word. It's a related, it's the same word group, but slightly different word. So trials is going to bring about this test, this idea of approvedness. And then he in, includes hupomone, perseverance. See how it's parallel here? And then in the text, that's uh, James 1, 3, and then verse 4, and let endurance, uh, that's my translation, New American Standard, let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The idea of not absolute perfection, but the idea of maturity. So testing and the experience of suffering is part of the process of God maturing us. Now, Paul doesn't include the idea of maturing, but he, I think the implication is there. It's going to produce a hope that God is going to get us there to ultimate glorification that's in the context. That even goes beyond maturity in this life. See the parallel there? And there's other passages that kind of give us the same idea. So the principle here is one of God using whatever circumstance, including suffering, to bring us to spiritual maturity. It's a process. Knowing that, now we can face trials no matter how severe. And there are a lot of examples. If you study the example of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, you can see all of those five principles I gave you, or steps, whatever you want to call them. Earlier in the chapter, it talks about Stephen being full of the Spirit, and it speaks of him being grounded. He's grounded. He's a godly man. And now he's tested by the Jewish leaders, and ultimately he's going to die. He's going to be a martyr. But what does he do? He doesn't retaliate. He doesn't respond in kind. He focuses on the Lord, and in that experience, the Lord gave him all of the resources to be able to handle that. And how does he respond? He responds in a godly way. Yeah, Father, forgive them. for They know what they do, almost identical to what Jesus said. And... He dies. They stone him to death. So you see the whole process. And if you study the lives of the martyrs, if you study the lives of people that have been persecuted, you see the sequence in them as well, all the way unto death. 
So whatever the circumstance that we face, and most of us will probably not be martyred for our faith, but uh, we will all experience, to some extent, suffering and hardship. Now we know how to face it, but we have to be preparing ourselves on an ongoing basis so that when it comes, we're not caught off guard and we can respond in the right way. So this Romans passage is very important. In verse 5, we won't complete it. We'll stop here and pick up there. And hope does not disappoint. Hope does not disappoint because of it, the nature of hope, because it's assurance that God is going to complete what he began. God is going to do what he promised. And he's going to expand upon that later. There's a few other passages we can look at. So back to the idea that we had in uh, verse 3, we can exalt in tribulation. Remember that? How can we exalt in suffering? Well, we can look at some of these same passages, 1 Peter 4. In fact, it would be good to read these. Who's got it in conclusion here? Why don't you do that one, Craig? 1 Peter 4, 13 and 14. This is part of knowing. This is a biblical principle. Knowing that it is actually an honor to suffer. That's First Peter 4. Who wants to do Philippians 3? You got it? Philippians 3, 8 through 10. And Second Timothy 2, 10 through 12. Why don't you do that one, Glenn? And that's Philippians. We won't look at those, but uh, for your own notes. First Peter 4. 13. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on, on you. On their part, he is blessed. Okay, that's in the context of suffering for righteousness' sake. In other words, they are being persecuted for sharing the gospel or standing up for Christ. And in that context, we are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. It's an honor to share in that, and he also gives that future hope. So you can look at this as a parallel passage as well. So, and in that, we can re- we can uh, boast, we can exalt. So I think that passage points out too, as we share in Christ's sufferings, we also share... In his, in, in his glory, exactly. That's the hope. Exactly. Very good, Jacob. Uh, we'll experience power. That's what gives us that assurance because God is working in that. That's the Philippians 3, 8 through 10. You got that one, Patricia? Now, this is Paul describing his own experience. Sorry to interrupt you. Keep going. For though I have suffered the loss of all things in the rubbish that of Christ, and found in righteousness which is from the law, but that which is from Christ, the righteousness which is from that I mean the power of what is suffered. See, this is another passage that says the same thing, same principle. Paul has counted everything as loss for the exchange of knowing Christ, having what Christ has promised, but then also Did you catch the little phrase? Experiencing the power in the midst. In other words, God, like Stephen, Stephen was given a vision that encouraged him to be able to forgive those that were persecuting. God will give us whatever we need in the midst of testing to face whatever that may be. 
And by the way, the more severe the testing, the greater will be the effect that God has in terms of growing us. He can grow us up quickly in the most severe of testing. But there's power available. So that's another promise you can claim in the midst of it as well. And it's part of the process of sanctification. Dwayne, you got that? Second Timothy 2, 10 through 12. Read it loud. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect. I endure all things. That they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, the eternal glory. Now let me stop you there. That they may obtain the salvation. Is he talking about salvation, justification by faith? No. He's talking about ongoing growth in the Christian life. Ongoing salvation from the power of sin. Keep reading. This is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he he also will deny us. Now this looks long range. If we suffer with him or endure with him, we will reign with him. When is that? Millennial Millennial kingdom. So suffering now is going to have long range effects as well all the way into the millennial kingdom. As we grow now in Christ, we will experience that future privilege of reigning with Christ as well. Now, I think the denying part at the end there is there's always the option of responding wrongly, and there's loss as well. And I think that's what 1 Corinthians 3 talks about, suffering loss. It's not loss of salvation in that context. It's loss of some potential that you may have had during the Millennial Kingdom. And if you want some examples, Paul himself, in fact, these others are examples of Paul, Philippians 3, but Philippians 4.12, another example of Paul, Peter, another example of Peter, Luke 22.31. I'll let you look those up, sis, because we're pretty much out of time. So in the context of justification by faith, Romans chapter 5, suffering does not affect that, but instead it builds upon it, and it begins to produce righteousness, the righteousness that we are declared to be. Who wants to close for us? Craig. Father God, uh, thank you for this uh, beautiful day that you have provided for us, for us and all the gifts in your creation. We just thank you for your work. Pray and ask that you will give us wisdom and understanding, Lord, and living out what you have shared. Father, we just pray a blessing upon Ray and his uh, teaching for his classroom this, this next week, also for this project. Uh, we just uh, pray this in your name. We love you. Amen. Amen. Amen.